it's a joy to be here, especially on this balmy day, to, uh, to just be with all of you. It has been a long time since Marilyn and I have been able to gather with our church, and so to be able to gather with you this morning is just a real honor and a privilege. So let's immediately get into God's Word. Let's just study this together. If you would, turn to the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 1. And we'll be reading the first three verses. It's an anonymous author, but one that has been tasked by God to write this letter to a group of ancient believers, but also for us today. And this is what he writes in the first three verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in, the, <clears throat> excuse me, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the body that you created through your saving grace, your salvific work for bringing us together in unity and in relationship and Lord, even in these days, as you well know, we are uh, unable to gather as we normally do. We are grateful for this time as we gather around your word, Lord. And we want to hear you speak this morning. We want to hear you speak to us that we might be encouraged, that we might be strengthened, that we might be refreshed, that we might draw near to you. So Lord, make yourself known through your word this morning, Lord, encourage these folks that are here. May they, may they go home just aware of your love for them and your nearness to them for having spoken to them through your word, not long ago like prophets, but now through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Hebrews is a book that was written to first century believers who were in danger of giving up as followers of Christ because of their difficult trials. Their trials were severe, their trials were prolonged, something that we can certainly um, just identify with. And suffering for a long time, um, be because it's difficult, it can feel at times as there's no end in sight. And again, it's something we can identify with. It's, it's like driving in a fog where you can only see just a few feet in front of you. It's scary, it's dangerous, and, and it's really hard to know what lies ahead. And not surprisingly, to care for these Christians in these ancient times, but also to care for you and I today, God in his, in his steadfast love commissioned this writer, this wise pastor to write this letter that we might hear these words today. 
these believers needed help just as we do. And they needed help to see beyond the, the fog of their situation, even though the fog in many ways has, has yet to clear for them. They were, they were suffering for their faith. We are, we are suffering in a season right now that certainly um, challenges our faith. And these believers needed, needed to see, even though they, they were still, in a sense, in a fog. I know many years ago, my daughter was, was driving, and my daughter, Jenny, is, is, she is sweet, but she is, she's sort of many, much like Anne of Green Gables. She gets distracted by a lot of things, and it, she was driving along with a friend in the car. She saw this construction robot, and it just intrigued her so much. She, she stopped looking where she was supposed to and just simply ran into the car in front of her. Still fascinated by the robot, but, but missing what was ahead of her. And, and in the same way, these believers uh, in Hebrews, they, they, were, they were missing what was ahead of them. They were, they were more focused on their situation, their experience, their difficulty, than they were on, on the Savior. And the writer's purpose is to encourage these saints to, to keep looking ahead and to understand that God is near in Christ. And there's nothing better than being near the Savior. And that's why he opens long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. 2,000 years may separate us from these saints, but in many ways our experiences are still the same. Their stories are our stories, and even if their troubles may be uniquely different than ours, we can still identify with these saints in, in a difficult season, and this writer's desire to recapture what they have been missing and what they've not been looking at, which is remembering that God is speaking to them and, and to look at the Savior. And so to help us, as the, he's helping these, these ancient believers in their current circumstances, uh, the author draws our attention away, away from our trials, and draws our attention to seeing who Jesus is in our trials. And, and three things I want to point out from this passage, and the first one that the writer points to us is to, to see God's love for us in the Incarnation. To see God's love for us, Hebrews 1 and 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the, by the prophets, and maybe even at times by, by angels. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Well, how did that happen? It happened through the Incarnation. These opening verses in Hebrews encourages us to remember again the Incarnation. The story of the Incarnation, brothers and sisters, is one of the pillars and greatest encouragements of our faith. It's the miracle of, of Jesus coming to us personally and speaking to us individually that we might have saving faith in him. And for centuries, the Jewish people, they waited and they prayed for a Messiah to come. For centuries, prophets spoke about him as it says here, in many times and in many ways. And although all these prophecies alluded to Christ, they were incomplete in introducing Christ. And although they were inspiring, and as I said, some even spoken by angels, their prophecies were just mere shadows of the truth to come. And now the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, but, but now it's not prophecies and angels, it's God speaking to us personally through his son, Jesus Christ. 
But in these last days, God no longer speaks in mysteries or through angels, but he speaks to us by Jesus Christ. And we have primarily that through his word. All, all the hope and all the prophecies and all the prayers, they're finally answered in Christ. The incarnation, this, this opening verse, this opening verse is, it's one of my favorite in all of scripture because it's a reminder that God is speaking that God is not silent, that, that whatever difficulties or situations we're experiencing, whatever pain or trials we're facing, whatever sufferings are in our lives, or, or all the good things, God is speaking to us. God is not silent. Now, that, that, is, that should be revolutionary, that, that the creator of the universe is speaking to you and to me. All, all the hope and all the prophecies and all the prayers are answered in Christ. And this, this opening reverse reminds us that God came to us just as he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, but, but he came wrapped in flesh. He came wrapped in our flesh. And, and the beauty of the incarnation is that, that we have a Savior who, who knows what we've experienced. He, he's he walked where we walked. He's experienced and suffered, and he, has, he understands. He sympathizes with us. But, more, but, but Jesus is more than just the final word in, in salvation history. He, he's much more than that. Jonathan Griffith, in his, in his commentary, in, in a book on preaching, says this. He says, the final word of God about the incarnation, the final word from God in the final age of salvation history, these last days, has been spoken in Jesus, the incarnate word of God. Now, this, this is one of the greatest expressions of God's love for us, is that he sent his son, incarnate. That Jesus dwelled with us, and he's more than just the final word of salvation history. He, he's the incarnate word who brings us into his kingdom. He gives us his righteousness. He, he blesses us with the gift of eternal life. He came that we might have life, and we might have it abundantly. The author of Hebrews tells us in the following verse that, that he's the heir of all things. This is, this is the incarnate God. This is, this is a dramatic expression of God's love for us. And I know at a time like this, as I, as I talk with the, the members of my church, the folks that, that are in my church who, who are you know, financially going through difficulties, separated from family. I just had a, a couple in my church whose, whose father died. Um, they can't go to the funeral. They can't visit. I mean, it, those, those are the kinds of sufferings, and, and it can feel so. Where, where is God in this? And yet, he's right here. He's the incarnate son who's come to us. And not only is is he the incarnate son, but he's the heir, as we read on in, in verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. What, what does that mean, he's the heir of all things? It means that, first and foremost, we are Christ's inheritance. We are his possession. We belong to him. He willingly bled and willingly died for us that we might become his. But he is also our inheritance. In, he, in 1 Peter, 
well-known verse. I'm sure you're well familiar with it. 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is describing all the blessings we have received in Christ. And he reminds us that the greatest blessing that we've been given in that first Peter passage is that we've been born again to a living hope. The very, the very passage that your church reflects in its name. We have been born again to a living hope. And we have, we have been given, even in times of suffering, a promised hope, a promised future. And then Peter then Paul, uh, the writer of uh, Hebrews goes on to say, not only is he appointed the heir of all things, but he also is through whom also he created the world. So here, this author goes on to, to cast this, this vision of, of the incarnate Christ and who he is in the world, but who he is to us individual. He is he's the one whom God created the world through. John 1, 3, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything that, that Jesus makes has made is good, and although stained by our sin, God has promised in his word that his creation will one day see a day that all is restored. And that, that gives us hope in a time like this, where, where we see just the, the ravages of of sinful humanity experiencing the fallenness of humanity, where a virus can, can take many of us down, a virus can change our world, but God is the ruler and the creator of all things. He oversees these things, and, and we will see that even more. But, but that's not where the author of Hebrews stops. The second thing he tells us that he wants us to focus our attention on, the following verse, verse 3, he goes on to say, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. See that he is the radiance of God's glory, even when our world seems dark. Turning, turning our eyes away at a time like this from the ugliness of suffering and trials, the author of Hebrews turns again our attention to the glory and the beauty of God in the risen Christ. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesies, he tells us about, he's speaking of prophesying this future incarnate Savior. He says, he had no beauty that we should desire him. But as the risen Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, he now has put on full display the glory of God in the beauty of Christ. We, we see God in Christ. We, we don't see him as he walked the earth. We don't see him beaten and scourged and, and marred as he hung on a cross. We see him as the risen Christ. We see him as the one worthy of all honor and all glory. We see him as he is to us now, the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. 
That's, that's what we see in this, this incarnate Christ. We, we see him who carries our burdens, as that passage was read this morning, making our, our yoke light. We see him as the one who, who knows all of our weaknesses, who knows all of our temptations, and knows how to sympathize with us in every way. We, we know him who calls us to, to come to him without fear, to his throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. That's who we see in the incarnate Christ. That's who we see. That's, that's the one that, that God brought to earth. That is the one where he not only has, has spoken to us by his son, but he has shown us his son, and he's shown us himself in his son. Now, Moses, in Exodus 34, he catches a glimpse of God's glory. But, but Moses... He longed to see so much more. He, he experienced some of God's presence as he hid behind a rock. In Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The, the, the so much more of God that Moses longed to see, brothers and sisters, we see in Christ. We, we see the so much more. We don't just hear God speaking of his goodness. We, we see it in Jesus. We see the radiance of the Father's glory in him. We see our Redeemer. We, we see the one who is our only hope in this life. And his glory shines in every one of the dark trials that we face. His glory shines and, and, and it gives us that hope of eternal life. We can be confident our trials will not last forever. Because what does last forever is the living hope that we have in Christ. Then he goes on, the, the writer goes on in, in, in verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus not only manifests God's glory through his radiance, but he represents God in all his, his character. Colossians 1 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Je Jesus bears the very nature of all that God is in his perfect character. Now, we're, we're, allowed, we're allowed to see the perfections and goodness of God in the face of Christ. That's, that's amazing. Moses has to hide behind a rock or he would die. And we get to see the perfections and goodness of God in the face of Christ. We see his mercy. We see his kindness. We see his steadfast love. We see his faithfulness. We see his, his, his love. All these things captured in his word. We see it captured in his church. But it's fully captured in Jesus Christ. And as his body, we, we get to represent that. So today, really my question is this. What vision has captured you? What, what vision has drawn your attention? On my wedding day, when I saw Marilyn in her wedding dress coming through the doors of the sanctuary, my breath was taken away. And, and I believe 
my heart stopped for a moment. It was, that, it was a moment that I can still visualize today. It was a moment that captured my heart forever. I can still see her in that moment. Oh, and my hope is as you read this passage, as you, as you draw your attention to this Savior, this incarnate one, that the glory and beauty of Christ and his saving grace captures your hearts when, when there seems to be very little beauty around at this moment. Now there is, as I said, a place where we see many of God's attributes today, and it's right here. It's right here at Living Hope. It's there in Grace Church in Clarksburg. It is, it is where we see God's kindness. It's where we see God's love, God's goodness, God's mercy on, on display. And, and during this pandemic, the, the character of God really has, as I talk to John and hear how this church has been working together and, and aware of my own church, how it's working together, it is, it is just marvelous to see the character of God put on display through his people. What a, what a gift that is that we can gather at this time. So, so we, see, we see the love of God in the incarnate Christ. We see the, the glory and beauty of God in his radiance. And thirdly, see the blessings that we've been given in Christ. The rest of verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, the, the first blessing that we see, the blessings we've been given in Christ, is that he, he upholds the word, the world or the universe by the word of his power. He holds all things up. Nothing is being held up that God isn't holding up. He speaks and just everything comes into being. He speaks and we hear and see through God's people. It is, it is just an amazing experience to, to know that God at this moment is holding you up personally, individually. He is holding you up and he's holding our world up. Our blessed assurance is that our world is under God's sovereign care and control. He sustains our world. He, he just speaks and it happens. He has promised that he will always be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can be confident that he will never stop sustaining us, even, even in the most severe trials. But he goes on to say in, in the verse, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is another that is, the, that is the most blessed assurance, the most get, blessed gift that we've been given. We've been saved from our sins. We've been made righteous in Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled to God the Father. What, what blessing could be more glorious than to be saved from the slavery of our sin and the wrath of God? What, what blessing could be greater than that? There's nothing better than this. There's no better news than the gospel. There's no greater blessing than being forgiven and being made a child of God. And that's where you stand today. That's what you're experiencing today. You are a child of God. You are, you are a child of God. You belong to God. You are, you are His 
you're an heir. You're his inheritance. He is your savior. He has spoken to you. He speaks to you. What, what blessing could be more glorious than that? And then it tells us, the writer Hebrew goes on to tell us that finally he, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. A final blessing in these verses is to know that Jesus is still ruling. He's still in control over everything. Every trial that we face, it is real, but it is not outside of his perfect, wise, and loving, and redeeming sovereign plan. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand. Now, that means he's... He's at rest, but is, and, and actually there are a couple of passages in Scripture you will see where there's a moment where, where Jesus stands up when his saints are in trouble. There is a Savior who is, is, he's not sitting back just not caring or distant or aloof from you. Oh no, he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's thinking of you. He's caring for you. He is bearing your burden. He's making your yoke light. He is there for you, and he is speaking to you. He may not relieve our circumstances, he may, but he's relieved us of our greatest need ever, and we can find confidence, and we can find comfort knowing that, that Christ is greater than all our circumstances, greater than all our enemies, even this invisible little virus, greater than our trials, greater than our fears, greater than all our sins. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear. Fix your eyes, as he says later on in chapter 12, fix your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. So today, as, as we part from this time, what what gives you hope in your painful and difficult circumstances? Where, where do you look? What vision do you have? Where do you turn when you're overwhelmed by what is before you? Well, we turn and we look. And we look at Christ. We fix our eyes on his cross as a reminder that there is nothing he wouldn't do for us. Nothing. Father, thank you that we can fix our eyes on you because you have already fixed your eyes on us. And you are, you are speaking to us. You are comforting us. You are caring for us. You are watching over us. You are ruling this world that we live in. You are there. And you have never left us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, this morning, we just simply once again turn our eyes to you, to see the radiance of your glory. In Christ's name, amen.